Now, Philip Jensen, for those of you who may not know Philip and Helen, though they played a key part in so many things in our diocese, Sydney Anglican Diocese, and really Christianity around the world. Uh, but for us in particular, um, it was Philip's ministry at St. Matthias and the university ministry that produced a lot of church plants that were particularly ethnically focused, the Greek Bible Fellowship being one, that really was the benchmark for us or the model for us to, to or for me at the time, to actually think about planning what was then called the Maltese Bible Ministry. So we have a particular debt to you, Philip, and to Helen. Helen wrote me one of two letters when we first started church planning. It was just an idea, and you get a letter like that early on. And particularly from someone like a Philip and a Helen, it really meant a lot. So I really thank God for both of you guys. You've been such a blessing. But let's move on, Philip. You and your brother both became Christians at the 59 Billy Graham Crusade. Yes. How, how did that happen? Well, with me, it was straightforward. With my brother, it's a great miracle of grace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he needed so much. <laughs> uh, well, we grew up in uh, Bondi Junction, Bellevue Hill part of town. I went to Bellevue Hill Public School, which was full of Jews. Um, uh, came Jewish holidays. The teacher and a bunch of us were still left, all wishing we were Jewish too, because they got all our holidays and all their holidays. It was dreadful. Um, and so we, in that day and age, everyone went to Sunday school. We went to Sunday school. So all the other kids went to Sunday school. The Jews all went to Saturday school. And so it was just assumed that I was a Christian because I went to Sunday school. I was about 13, 14 at the time of the Billy Graham crusade, just that stage where you moved into youth fellowship and like. And, but it was the end of Sunday school. So they took us all on a Sunday school outing. I didn't know where they were taking us. And they took us to the Billy Graham crusade. And uh, I didn't know what a crusade was. I didn't know what a Billy Graham was. I didn't know very much at all. I'm just sitting there thinking it wasn't a picnic. And <laughs> what Billy said, I agreed with. It was just everything that I'd ever heard in Sunday school. So he's, for those who don't know, he's an evangelist. Great preacher, a great American. He's 98 now, so I suppose there are people here who don't know him because they've been born. I've just discovered people born around 1989 onwards are called millennials. Yes. Which means you and I are pre-millennial. <laughs> And if you have a baby now, it's going to be a post-millennial. Uh, anyway. Um, Look, that they can laugh at their joke that means they know something. Yes, they do. They do. They're all a-millennial. Now, uh, uh, so Billy, a great American preacher, and 150,000 people on one day went out to hear him, but every night for a month he was preaching, uh, and there were, it, it fills the old showground, which doesn't exist anymore, does it? Um, large crowds, 40,000, 50,000 people. Anyway, we were out there and uh, I agreed with everything he said. And it was just straightforward Sunday school stuff. And then he said, you've got to become a Christian. That was completely new to me. I mean, I was a Christian because I, I wasn't Jewish. So, so then I'm sitting there thinking, well, he's inviting people to go down the front to become Christians. And I looked around thinking, well, there's no Jews here. I mean, I knew who the Jews were and none of my Jewish mates were here. So who was he asking? And so in my 14-year-old brain, I'm thinking, alcoholics and criminals. They're the only two categories I could think that couldn't be Christian, somehow, possibly. So I'm looking at it because I was actually interested. I'd never seen a criminal. So I thought, well, not that I knew that anyway. <laughs> I had some uncles who were pretty dodgy. Anyway, I, uh, I'm looking around to see the criminals everywhere. And the first person I see going down the front is my brother. <laughs> well, I knew he wasn't Jewish. 
and uh, uh, he wasn't an alcoholic and, and none of his crimes had been found yet. <laughs> so I figured if he needed to go down the front to become a Christian, I needed to go down the front to become a Christian. So I went down. When I got down there, they had a counsellor and he said, why have you come down the front? And I said, because my brother did. <laughs> well, I couldn't explain it. It was very common to take me this long just to explain that. I, as a 14-year-old, couldn't explain it. But uh, so the bloke sent me away with a piece of paper and a little New Testament, uh, Gospel of John and something, and said, good, good boy, off you go, because he couldn't see that I'd become a Christian. But he didn't understand what was behind what I said. If my brother needed it, I needed mm, it. Right. I agreed with it. Mm. It's just, it, was, it was a conversion, but it was in a sense a maturation. I just mm. reached that point of stage where I needed to understand that I couldn't get in on my parents' coattails. I actually had to commit myself to Jesus mm. myself. Well, as soon as I heard that, there was no option. I did straight away. It was good fun. Fantastic. Praise God. Mm. You're married to Helen. You have how many children? Three. And grandchildren? Thirteen. Thirteen. Now, um, some of Had us know... six, seven, oh, we're ten why boys. Why am I stopping at grandchildren? How many... You've got great-grandchildren. Fair crack of the whip. I'm not that old, brother. Oh, oh, just right. steady so, on, steady oh, sorry, on. sorry, I thought you were going on. <laughs> and no, 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 but I had ten sane sons and only three granddaughters, and we went around about six or seven before we got a granddaughter. It was awful. <laughs> granddaughters are wonderful. They're marvellous creatures. What about the reverse problem? All granddaughters, no grandsons. Oh, you're a The name's man. going. Galea's gone. Oh, don't worry about the name. It's the way they look after you when you're old. <laughs> it's just beautiful. It's just wonderful. Now, uh, that's an excellent point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Philip, uh, so you've got this uh, dynasty, um, but tragically, uh, a month ago, uh, your grandson, Nathan, at 16, yeah. uh, died and went to be with the Lord. How, as a Christian man, do you process what is really a, just a profound grief, tragedy? Well, it is that. <laughs> um, uh, this time last year, he had, uh, a little bit earlier, but January, he had a brain tumour and had a big operation, which was successful. But around this time, they discovered, because more tumours kept coming, which is not what happens with brain tumours. And so they had to search further, and they found that his primary tumour was actually in his heart which is extraordinarily rare, mm. heart cancer. No one has, you've never heard of it because it's so rare. Um, and the hospital uh, fought valiantly against it. They gave him every treatment, every opportunity, kind of experimental and anything else. But he did well till uh, summertime. And just before Christmas, we had a lovely Christmas gathering and he was there, and he, fairly large, he'd filled out, a 16-year-old boy. You wouldn't know he was sick except... He had a hat on because he was bald because of the chemo. Um, but otherwise, he just looked as healthy as that afternoon. He, he uh, lost the use of his arm, and uh, within three weeks, he died. It was very sudden at the end and very hard. It is hard. When I heard, you thought that uh, Maltese are emotional. I tell you, I'm more emotional than this fella. Uh, when... When I heard that he'd, he, he was, uh, had this heart cancer, I prayed. I prayed God would take me instead of him. You know, I'd lived my three score years and ten, which is all the Bible promises you. And uh, I said, well, Lord will take me and leave him because he's got so many years ahead of him and he's such a gifted, talented, lovely fellow and he loves the Lord Jesus. You know, he was, he was the boy that 
started up a Bible study in year eight with the other kids because they weren't getting along to Bible study. And he's a keen Christian and a good evangelist uh, and saw some of his friends come to Christ. And uh, so I, you know, I had great hopes for our Nathan. Um, and so, but of course, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> There's only one person who can die in the place of another, and that's the Lord Jesus, and he's done that already. So Nathan... Um, we just had a very hard year all last year going back and forth to the hospital with one emergency after another, one round of chemo after another. It was, it was a very long, difficult, hard year, but this year in some ways been harder emotionally, just uh, losing him, and it's uh, been very difficult. But he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. He always did from as a little boy. He came to know Christ when he was very little. And he loved the Lord and he had his faith firmly in God. But facing death is difficult for us when you've got time to think about it. And he had a year to think about it, you mm. see. And he sat up many nights with his mother in the hospital talking about the gospel, talking about assurance of salvation. Towards the end, she read him a bit from Romans 8. You know, the end of Romans 8. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God that found in Christ Jesus. When she finished, he was, <laughs> he was a feisty young man. He said, well, why didn't you tell me that before this? You know, I've been sitting here struggling with all these things and it's there in Romans 8. I want that preached at my funeral, he said. <laughs> and so I did. Because uh, that's what he wanted. And he made a testimony for his, his school. Uh, did a video. He was going to speak, but he had to go to the hospital that week. So they did a little video of him. And it only goes for a couple of minutes, three minutes, I think it is, in which he tells them, that he's going to die, he knows he's dying, and that uh, his trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's all that matters, and tells him, you know, he looks right down the barrel of the camera and says, there's nothing else you can do, but you've got to put your faith in Jesus, put your faith in Jesus. It's a terrific little testimony. And in a sense, the man that I thought would be a preacher, the only sermon he preached. But it's very powerful and has seen several of these contemporaries coming to Christ through the video and through his death, wow. which is wonderful. Yeah. It hurts. Uh, we miss him greatly and we're all grief-stricken in our wider family. He was such a person within the family. Um, but while we're hurt and and uh, we do not understand always why God takes people when he does. Uh, we have great assurance underneath that you know that he is with the Lord. So you ask me how many grandchildren I have. I have 13. Twelve live on earth, one lives in heaven. And I know he's with the Lord Jesus. But it's not that kind of, excuse me saying so, stupid Australianism. You know, where you hear people at funerals saying, oh, well, he's up there with a beer in one hand and a fag in the other, and he's looking down and smiling at us all today. You know, it's just such garbage. It's just awful. I know he's in heaven because the Lord Jesus Christ died for him to pay for his sins and has risen again and poured his spirit into that young man to bring him to new birth. And he has his, had his faith in Jesus, and he is now with him. And one day we will be. Amen. Thank you, Ken. I'm coming down. <laughs>